This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Good afternoon. Well, it's not actually Rabbi Michael Katz from Elovo. This is Rabbi Penny Pink. I'm just standing in for him. Um, and today we are going to be talking a little bit about Camp Gan Yisrael. Um, it is a household name in many households around Johannesburg. Um, and I've had the privilege of, of running it for the past uh, seven, eight years. With me in studio today is two of our head counselors, two of the boys who are going to be leading up the head division of camp. Um, they are very talented boys all the way from the USA. Um, and Canada. And Canada. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit today about what those who uh, have signed up for Ganyasrol have uh, in store for them. And uh, those who haven't signed up yet, registration closes at 11.30 p.m. tomorrow night, that Thursday night. So you better get in there quickly. Um, the website is www.cgijoburg.co.za. That's CGI for Camp Gun Israel, joburg.co.za. Um, you can register on the website. All the information is on the website. And you really, really are going to be uh, t- you know, signing up your kids for two weeks of a lot, a lot of summer fun we are running it from the 11th to the 22nd of, of december um it's a two-week period you can sign up your kid for one week for two weeks but pretty much guaranteed you sign up for the first week they are going to want to come back for the second week especially when we're going to hear what our campers have in store um for this december so you know when when uh, when choosing head staff obviously it's a it's a very uh, difficult process because you need the right people the people who are going to be able to relate to the children, going to be able to um, connect to the children at the same time, be on a level that they can, you know, really tap into them and give them really, really that good time that the children deserve. Um, and obviously with everything in Gan Yisrael, the point of camp is that is infused with Jewish ideas, Jewish themes. It's not just an idea of playing a game, but it's how can we relate that game to our Judaism? How can we be proud of our Judaism? And how can it relate to every single child on, on a level that they're comfortable with? And, and, you know, every single child, you know, comes from a different background. We are blessed that we have literally children from every single Jewish school in Johannesburg. And we even have Jewish children who don't attend uh, Jewish day schools, who come to the camps. We have a ra- vast, vast array of kids who are coming to the camp. And our aim is to make every single fit child feel comfortable, feel at home, and not just feel comfortable at home, but have a great, great time. So... Over to you guys. Um, I'm sure as children, you guys attended camps back home uh, overseas. Um, it's obviously your first time you're going to be involved in a, in a camp in, in South Africa, which is, you know, in its own unique, special way. But is there anything which stands out to you that, you know, still has maybe an impact on you today from your experience as a camper in camp? Yeah, for sure. Um, yourself. My name is David Goldschmidt. I'm actually from Chicago. And interestingly enough, this camp, Gan Israel, is not only in Johannesburg, it's actually worldwide. And when I was just four years old, um, I used to attend a camp, it's called Camp Happy Smiles, a park district, local, public camp. And, you know, I enjoyed it every summer, you know, looked forward to it to come around. Uh, it was good times. And then going into first grade, my mother offered me, hey, I heard about this cool camp, it's called Camp Gan, Gan Israel. Never heard about it before, but they have really cool activities, including hockey. So I was like, hockey, sign me up. And little did I know, this camp ended up changing my life. I started when I was four, and I've been involved in that camp in Chicago for 17 summers. Never missed a summer, never would miss a summer. And the camp ended up changing my life. And more than one particular memory, it was really the entire camp experience, the entire vibe, the energy. 
the the realness that I would experience as a camper. And primarily what really made a big impact on me was the counselors. Of course, they expressed their impact on me through the amazing trips, activities, and different fun things that we would do. But it was really that personal connection that I developed with my camp counselors, some of whom I'm in touch with 10 years down the line. For example, in eighth grade, I missed my class trip in order to attend my favorite camp counselor's wedding in New York. First time flying, flew by myself at 12 years old. And uh, so this just shows the impact. And uh, from going to a camper who didn't know much about Yiddishkeit, didn't know much about my own Judaism, didn't really mean much to me, it ended up being something that would be the focal focus of my life and this would be something that I would dedicate my entire life to. And it all started out at CampCon Israel in Chicago. That's, that's really amazing. Um, and you know what? Um, you know, you're not the only one who has who has stories like that. And there are so many stories. Um, and I'm in contact with many directors, like you said, um, Gan Israel, or as it's known overseas, Camp Gan Israel is is you know an international camp um, with literally branches pretty much wherever there's a Chabad, which is pretty much everywhere. Um, and I'm in touch with directors from all over, and you hear so many of these heartwarming stories. How you know, just from attending a camp, it, it really you know gave a child a chance to be more in touch um, with their Judaism. And especially for children who not necessarily attend uh, a, a Jewish school, it's a chance for them to be able to learn a bit more. And it's not just about learning it, it's living it. Because when we're in camp, you are totally infused by these ideas. And obviously not in a pushy way, not in an overbearing way, in a way, like we said, which, which um, you know, fits every child. So, you know, each group will, will do their morning davening according to what they used to at school. They'll, you know, they'll do some sort of, you know, Jewish learning. Again, according to their level, according to what they're up to. It's not about trying to, you know, push anything on anyone, God forbid. It's very much making the children realize what they have is really, really a, a beautiful gift. Um, and, you know... As you said, as a, as, a, as a camper, that had an effect. But very often, as a counselor, it can also have, have a profound effect on you. And sometimes, you know, like, 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 like we, we, you know, we know the famous saying that sometimes you learn more from your students than, than you learn yourself when you're, from, when you're actually studying. And very often when, we, when we're in touch like that and when we connect to the, these campers, it gives us an opportunity to realize things about ourselves that we not necessarily were in touch with. And I, I remember... When I was a counselor in Ukraine, um, I was there once uh, running a, as a counselor in a camp, and um, one of one of my campers didn't ha- hadn't yet had a Brit Milah, hadn't had a circumcision, and obviously with his parents' consent, um, we arranged that he should uh, have a Brit Milah. And this kid was about ten years old, and you, the the way you know the way it worked in the camp is after children had their Brit. They were always given some sort of prize, some sort of reward. And in those days, it was a, it was a uh, what's it called, a CD player. Um, and this kid turned around to me and said, I don't want the CD player. I'm like expecting he's going to turn around and say, you know, what, what, what's, you know what's, what's more up than that? He turned around and said, all I want is the same siddur that you pray for him every day. And huh. to this day, it's had such a profound effect on me wow. that here you have a child who, you know, knew nothing very well, very little about his Judaism. He knew he was Jewish. His Judaism, his knowledge and his, his contact with Judaism was pretty much anti-Semitism. That's how he knew he was Jewish. Yet, once he was, you know, once this was opened up to him, he really had the opportunity to, to uh, get in touch with um, his Judaism. Now, obviously, it's very different when you're in a two-week day camp space as opposed to an overnight camp. Um, especially also, you know, Gan Yisrael here in Johannesburg starts from the age of three. 
Um, we have changed things up a bit this year. Um, we've now made the two divisions between the kiddie camp and the main camp. The kiddie camp is nursery school age children, and the main camp is for children who are going into um, primary school or in primary school already. Um, we reintroduced trips into the camp. Thank God, you know, we've managed to uh, secure um, venues where we can safely take the children on a trip. So obviously it, it brings that excitement. Um, Moish, would you like to tell us a bit about what you know you envision for, for our two weeks of camp? 100%. Hey, it's Moishi Rosenzweig here from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I have been involved in Ghani Stroll as well for countless years as a camper and as a staff member. And um, this summer, what was your question one more time, Penny? So... What what do you envision for these two weeks of camp? What what do you what do you see happening? What what do you have planned? What can the kids look forward to? Awesome. So, I think really camp is that space where you're outside of the classroom, and it's really a time that you could be and have fun. And um, every day, we're looking forward to swimming. We're looking forward to martial arts. We're bringing in special instructors for sports, martial arts all forms of activities, hunts, and um, something that really stuck out with me, I as had the privilege to be a staff member in Boston, Massachusetts, for two summers. And I remember very, very clearly, Ephraim, one of the boys, he was extremely afraid of water, and he would stay out of the pool. But it was really something to see that day by day, when we go to the pool, with this friend's encouragement, with the counselor's encouragement, he decided to give it a try, and before you know, at the end of the summer, he was in the water, flapping, having fun. That's just really what I love to see in camp. Kids and even staff members coming to a certain place of joy, fun, in all in a Jewish, proud atmosphere where you can really express yourself in the most fun, healthy, safe possible way. 100%. That's, that's very much what it's, uh, what it's all about. And, you know, there's also... When you have such a wide range of kids, there's so many different activities. Some kids do like sports. Some like, like you said, they don't like, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, like swimming, whatever it is. And one of the beautiful things of of camp, one of the things we teach the the counselors in camp, in in the counselor training, the staff training, is that when you change things up, for example, you turn around and tell the kids, okay, we're going to go play a game of soccer. I don't like soccer. Soccer's not my thing. I'm not good at it. Turn around and say, you know, we're going to play a game of uh, Ganizi soccer, which is they're like, what's Ghanizi soccer? And we can, you know, you, you change around the rules a bit. You make it a bit more fun. The kids can't turn around and say, you know what, uh, I, I don't want to do that. You've never tried it. You don't, <laughs> know how, you don't know how it works. And it really makes the kids realize that, you know what, you know, maybe, uh, yes, yeah, soccer all day is not for all kids, 100%. But when we give it a try, we realize how, you know, how enjoyable different things are. Some kids are more into the arts and crafts side of things. Some kids like to run around the entire day and, and, and would either spend their entire day kicking a soccer ball or, or playing in, a, in, a, in, a, you know, in the swimming pool. Um, but what is also so, so amazing is, um, so to say, to give a, a lot of these kids a break from technology. Because a lot of parents, when they sign up their kids, the first thing they ask me is, do they get any screen time? Do you show movies? Do you, mm. you, know, do, you know, do they have Xboxes to play on? And the answer is definitely not. The idea is these kids should interact with each other. And, they, you know, they want what, what they want to do at home. That's, that's, you know, that's what they want to do at home. But it's a time when they can run around. They can, you know, use their energy in a positive way. They can interact. And also they make friends. Um, like, we, like we said, you know, being that there's such a wide range of, of kids who attend the camp, a lot of times... 
kids will make a friendship from a child who never ever, ever would have, you know had any interaction with but one second suddenly they have a child who uh, you know is in the same group of them and you know this kid lives in you know maybe goes to King David Victory Park this kid goes to King David Linksfield they, they, they potentially could have never met and suddenly they become friends and these friendships do last um, so it's not just about friendships with the staff members, which obviously are important, and they, you know, you have a positive role model and someone who you can look up to for for you know future times. But you also have friends who you know will brighten, bright, widen. Sorry, the uh, horizon of of your children's friendships and what they, uh, you know, what they uh, look forward to in in you know in out of camp time. Um, you know, there's also, you know, the Ganyasral does run, we run now in December, we run in July. We also run a camp in August for children who attend um, the three-term um, schools, which aren't necessarily on uh, on um, holiday at the same time as um, the, the other schools. Um, and again, all these different camps showcase how much potential these kids have and, and how amazing it is just to see them in their, you know, this fun, exciting environment. And, you know, it, it's, it's really heartwarming when, when you hear stories like Dave told us that, you know, how it's, it's just amazing how this can have an impact. I actually got a phone call uh, probably a couple of years back from a lady, and she said, I want to sign up my kids for, for Gagne Israel. I'm like, sure, no problem. You know, help the registration. And she said to me, I just want to tell you something. She's like, I'm totally, uh, you, know, you know, not religious, um, but there's one thing which I'd probably surprise you if I told you. I'm like, go on. She says, I could do the whole Birchat Tamazan. I could do the whole Grace oh. After Meals off by heart for you on the phone right now. I'm like, wow, but it's like random. Like, you know, from where? She said, as a child, I attended, I attended Gan Yisrael. Obviously, it was before my time. Um, and, uh, and um, you know, they, every single day they, we, we did Grace After Meals. We benched together as a camp. And it's something which has stuck for me, you know, for the entire, my entire life. So, yes, while we have so many other options out there, and you can, you know, your kid can go to soccer camp and this camp and that camp. Yes, it's an important skill. But here we have a chance to really imbue the kids with Judaism, with the spirit for Judaism which is uh, really, really, you know, important, especially in today's day and age, when we have to, we have to be proud of our Judaism. We have to be proud of who we are. And, you know, we can't, can't sort of say be ashamed of the fact that we're Jewish. No, it's the opposite. And the more we know, the more we're, we're in touch with it, the, you know, the easier it will be for us to be proud and hold up our heads. You guys have anything to add? For sure. Just what you mentioned about friendships. Um, I couldn't adequately describe the difference in quality of the friendships that I made within camp versus in school or just from around. It's There's an infinite gap between a friendship that I made in camp. There's no way to describe it. It's just like what Maishi said, going through these experiences together and really growing and getting out of our comfort zones together, trying new things, meeting new people from different backgrounds who we otherwise wouldn't meet, you know, being placed in a bunk sometimes I remember on the first day it's always the most fateful the first mm. half hour of camp you're looking around you're trying to sit next to people you want, you're you close with you want to be in the same bunk but of course you always end up with, with new friends strangers at first and it's amazing how after only a few days and in this case a couple weeks friendships that can be developed which last for a lifetime and um, just to experience all these new things together and all in the spirit of Judaism all in the spirit of you know, growing together, everyone on their own path. And when I grew up, the camp that I went to, kids came from all different schools, very similar to how it is here in Johannesburg. And no matter what background, no, there was no condescending attitude. Everyone had such a positive attitude because everyone was coming together for one 
identical purpose. Everyone's going in the same exact direction. So that didn't matter where you came from, where you're holding. We're all walking forward together. We're all growing together. Everyone at his own pace. And it's just such an amazing atmosphere. And with the counselors using the activities are merely, it's, it's an excuse for the counselors to really develop a proper you know, relationship with the boys and really to give over what they have, which is so real and so so special and something that really, really, really does impact these kids for an entire lifetime and continues to impact them even now. Even now, sometimes, you know, I could be having a bad day. All I have to do is think back to camp. And I remember as a camper, I would literally count down every single day throughout the year until camp. I remember not being able to sleep the night before camp. That's how much of an impact it made on my life. And uh, couldn't be more excited to be on the flip, to be at a head counselor now. And uh, <laughs> super, super pumped. It's going to be the most lekka summer ever. We can already feel it. We can already taste it. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. We're going to hand back over to Rabbi Katz. We'll be joining you shortly. And again, if you want to sign up, registration closes tomorrow night, Thursday night. CGIJoburg.co.za. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, and welcome back. A very big apology for uh, not being here for the start of the show, but uh, joining you now, just gone 2.31 here in Joburg on a Wednesday afternoon on Judaism 101.9. A very big thank you, of course, to Rabbi Penny Pink and his team who stood in for me um, up until now and making camp. Gan Yisrael sounds so exciting and so fantastic that I um, almost wanted to be there myself. Um, it would be a nice thing to be able to join in once again. <laughs> in the fun, the activity, and the atmosphere of a gun Israel camp. So I've been thinking today on Judaism 101.9 to just raise one simple point today, and that is about our attitude to the world. The reason for this is because we take a look at the Parsha of this week, which is very, very cryptically written, very, very interestingly written, in depicting in depicting the attitude of Jacob, of, you know, of Jacob, to the world. And he sends a very fascinating message to this effect to his brother, to Esau. So this is the background. Jacob, Yaakov, is on his way back to Israel. Remember, he's spent the last few decades in Haran. There he has gotten married. There he has... Uh, raised his family, and now it's time for the big return. He's on his way back, and he sends a message with messengers, or as Rashi tells us, of course, they were really malachim, they were really angels, who came to Esau, they came to Esau, and they bring a message that is very, very carefully crafted to depict and to give us the incredible thinking of Yaakov Avinu, of Jacob, in the most beautiful, most wonderful fashion. And it goes something like this. He says to his brother, Im Lovon Garti. He says, I have dwelt with Lovon. Seems an innocuous enough kind of a statement. He had been with Lovon. He had been in Haran. That's where he's coming from. And he says, Va'echar Adata. He says, Va'echar Adata. I have been delayed up until now. And he says, Va'yehi li shor v'chamor, tzon v'eved v'shivcha. I have. Tzon, I have shor v'chamor, I have uh, cattle, I have um, donkeys, I have sheep, I have manservants, I have maidservants. I'm coming back with my whole entourage, my whole um, 
entourage, and I'm coming to you to try and find favor in your eyes. Allow me to come back, allow me to make this return. And what is it actually that he is telling his brother? He's telling him that he dwelt, so simple terms, he tells, telling him that he dwelt in Haran, he's dwelt with Lavan, he's been delayed until now, it's been quite a lengthy delay, um, a couple of decades as we mentioned, and he says, um, I, I'm not coming to mooch of you, I'm not coming to take anything away from you perhaps, I've got whatever I need, I've got cattle, I've got sheep, I've got manservants, I've got maidservants, um, everything is fine, I'm okay. If we take a look at it a little bit deeper, though, there's this very interesting, a strange comment, perhaps, that Rashi um, brings on the fact that he says, Im Lavan Garti, that I have dwelt with Lavan. And he says, the word Garti is from the word of Gerut, which means, I'm there, I was there as a stranger. And so you would think that he's actually hinting at the fact that I was there as a stranger and I did not take on the attitudes, the morality, the ethics of Lavan, who was world-renowned to be a swindler and uh, not the nicest of gentlemen. And I am now coming back to Israel. Don't think that I'm a swindler. Don't think that I'm a trickster. I'm not coming to dupe anybody. I am coming back just the same as I left here. Everything there was extraneous to me. And Rashi adds the most beautiful interpretation of the word garati, he says, if we take a look at that word garati, the gimel, the resh, the tuf, and the yud, turn them around, and it adds up to 613, or it is the same letters of taryag. And he says, taryag mitzvot shamarti. I kept all 613 mitzvahs. What is the message to his brother Esau? What is he telling Esau? What is he telling Esau that I kept all 613 mitzvahs, that I never allowed myself to integrate into the Haranite, um, Irani, Iranian, Iraqi kind of an atmosphere, but I actually was completely and absolutely only involved in my Judaism, in my Torah and my, my mitzvot. That's really a message to give to Esau, to give to Esau. Is that what he's doing? Well, he goes on and he says, and I have cattle and I have sheep and I have donkeys and I have all sorts of other things and I'm coming here with my whole entourage this is me returning here I am absolutely perfect and beautiful and I don't need anything from you, that would seem to be the first sense of it but perhaps we need to look a little deeper, he says I actually have taken all of these things and I have utilized them all for spiritual purposes Everybody else out there, perhaps, would take cattle, sheep, donkeys, manservants and maidservants, material wealth, and would use it for purely material ends, to have a good time, to get the best out of the schmaltz of the world, to have everything in this world from a physical point of view and just be completely physical. No, I have used my mitzvot. And my attitude towards mitzvot, although, of course, it preceded the giving of the Torah, and they weren't really mitzvot per se yet, but we understand, we believe that our forefathers kept them. They kept all of them to the best of their ability, albeit sometimes in a slightly different way to the way that we do, but they did perform, and they did keep all the mitzvot. He says, I've kept them all, and I've utilized all of these things to 
to change them into something spiritual. I haven't allowed the cattle, the sheep, the donkeys, the manservants, the maidservants, the material wealth. I haven't allowed that to be separate from my religious life. In fact, what I've done is instead of shunning them all, I've taken them all and I've turned them into spiritual services of God. I have managed to find the sparks of holiness that exist within each and every one of these material things, and I've transformed them into something spiritual. And in fact, what he does with that statement is he lays the foundation, I think, for what Jewish attitude is to this world per se. You know, there could be those who um, say in life, well, you know, there's a physical world and there's a spiritual world, and never the twain shall meet. We live a spiritual life on the one hand, we live a physical life on the other hand, and they actually don't have much of a crossover. And we can kind of then become a little bit, um, 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 you know, split personality, so to speak, where we have a spiritual life and a physical life, and they're completely separate. <coughs> that would lead, perhaps, to a person not truly being honest with himself or not truly honest with the environment or with people around them, where you have complete separation between the physical and the spiritual. Living a spiritual life on the one hand, that would be kind of when you go to shul, when you're in that sort of an environment, being super religious and super spiritual, but when you're in a physical environment, being absolutely and completely caught up in the physicality of the world. Yaakov Avinu teaches us that the concept of mitzvot per se is to merge the worlds together. To be able to take something physical and to transform it, to make it into a spiritual service of God. And while we have gotten perhaps so used to this notion in um, our um, attitude towards mitzvot per se, in those days was completely, completely unheard of. It was an absolutely new and unique idea. And yet today, thousands of years later, there are many who still see a total separation between the physical and the spiritual. How can a physical thing become something of a spiritual nature? Well, if we just think about all of our mitzvot, if we take one mitzvah at a time, and let's perhaps use a few that are very common to us and a few that we know um, on a regular basis, if we take those things and we think about them in a purely physical sense and the way that they're utilized then for a mitzvah, well, all of a sudden we start realizing what our mitzvot really actually do. They are rooted in, they're seated in the world of the physical, but it's in order to bring out that holiness from the physical, extract it from there, and turn each and every physical thing, every physical item, every physical item that we come into contact with, to turn it into a vessel for Kedusha, for holiness. Let's think about Tfilin. We take Tfilin and we put them on in the morning and um, we pray with them on. Well, what are Tfilin? From beginning to end, every part of the tefillin are made from animal. Animal hide, animal skin, animal sinews, all of the things, all of the parts of tefillin, with the exception perhaps of the ink that is um, written on the parchments that are embedded within the shell rosh of the, the head tefillin and the hand tefillin, the shell yad. With the, the exception of that, everything there is purely animal.
Animal is the epitome of physical, a physical material world. There is nothing perhaps more physical than animal life, very, very physical. And yet, what a Jew does is we say we have the ability to take this physical item and to transform it by writing those words on those pieces of parchment, by taking the, um, the, the leather and making it into tefillin, we're transforming it. And then by utilizing it in a, in a spiritual pursuit, what we're doing is we're elevating it to a level for which we understand, we believe that it was created, and we're making it that carrier, we're making it that vessel for the holiness that we're trying to accomplish with our lives and through that mitzvah. It's the same thing with eating. We could eat just like an animal, or we could eat in an elevated fashion. We could take the, um, the, the physical thing that we are eating. We could make sure that it is kosher, and by making sure that it is kosher, that opens up, so to speak, the spiritual pause in order to be able to um, bring the Kedusha, the holiness, into that item. It becomes elevated to a level of holiness, a level of Kedusha. And then when we make a blessing before and we make a blessing afterwards, what we have done is we've brought it to its spiritual fruition rather than just leaving it lying there in its physical non-entity kind of a state, um, just being the schmaltz or the, um, uh, the physical entity that it was and that it is. And the same thing with money. So we take money. Money can be, as uh, the bumper stickers used to say, the root of all evil. But without money, you cannot build um, homes, uh, shuls. Um, aged care um, places for children to be educated schools, yeshivot and so on money is not the root of all evil money needs to be utilized in a f- spiritual way, physical as it is material as it is needs to be turned around and needs to be utilized correctly and this is the message that Jacob sends to his brother he says, <clears throat> the whole time that I was in Haran surrounded by physical material um, let's call them grob um, uh, items, things, and pursuits in life. I never became part of that. I carried on doing my mitzvot, which was taking everything that I came into contact with, and I now have ownership of them. I, they now belong to me. They've now been taken over to my way and to my side. I've changed, I've transformed that physical, material world that I was and operating in that I was in, I've transformed it into something that is completely, totally, and absolutely spiritual. I have them. I own them. They're mine in the spiritual sense. They've become holy items, holy vessels. And this is what I'm coming back to Israel with. <clears throat> I'm coming back to you, to Israel, my dear brother Esau, with a message to tell you that I have done whatever I can in the environment that I was in, in the diaspora, outside of Israel, to prepare the whole world for the ultimate, for Mashiach. I have come back now with a message for you, my dear brother Esau, to say, I am ready for Mashiach to come. I have elevated every spark of holiness that I possibly could. And all I want to know, my dear brother, is are you ready too? And, um, of course, the angels come back to him and they say, Bonu elachicha el Esav. We have come to, or we came to your brother. You had hoped that he would be a brother with you. You had hoped that he would be an equal, that he too would have been on that level, that he perhaps would have spent his time in repentance and in uh, doing what he should have done 
inside the bounds of the ancient Israel and changing and transforming the physical into the spiritual in that realm. Unfortunately, we came to your brother, but he is still Esau. He's still exactly the same way. He's stuck in the same past kind of an attitude whereby nothing has been elevated. Everything has remained locked into its material self. And unfortunately, he isn't on your level. He's not ready for Mashiach like you are and like you've always wanted to be. And so the message, of course, is one for each and every one of us, that we too need to understand that this needs to be the Jewish attitude to the world. It's not an attitude whereby we say everything physical must be shunned and everything material must be ostracized and you cannot live in this physical material um, world because it's completely at the antithesis of what our spiritual lives are supposed to be. It rubs against and counteracts everything that my soul wants to accomplish. On the contrary, Our job in this world is to do mitzvot, to link ourselves with the physical in such a way whereby just like my body has a soul and just like the soul is meant to drive and direct the body, I need to take everything that is physical, I need to transform it, I need to make it into something that is a vessel for spirituality, a vessel for kedusha, a vessel for holiness um, (coughs) in this world. That's our job. And Jacob, Yaakov Avinu, brings that to the fore. He brings that um, and presents it at the beginning of this week's parsha of how a Jew needs to look at the world and how we need to understand our job, our role in this beautiful world within which God placed us. So as we um, hear in this beautiful month of Kislev, which we mentioned last week, are now looking at <clears throat> and looking forward to the beautiful dominant festival of um, this time, which is, of course, Hanukkah, which occurs towards the end of this month of Kislev, on the 25th of Kislev, beginning um, as it does on the 12th in the evening, on the 12th of December, um, not that far away, just a couple of weeks away, in fact, that we have this beautiful idea and this beautiful opportunity to actually think about the message of a candle with a flame and uh, the soul and the body and how the one thing actually is an image for the other and what our job actually is as Jews, which is to light up the world, to make the world a brighter place, to bring um, holiness and godly light into places, into areas where there was otherwise darkness. So when we take this world that God created, yes, of course, God created the light and he created the dark. Of course, he made the darkness as well. But that darkness was not meant to be locked into darkness forever. We're supposed to take that darkness and elevate it, make it into something that is light. To light up the darkness, which is the message of Hanukkah. To place those uh, candles, those flames out into the whole world out there and be able to transform it, to change it, to find those sparks of hope within everything and turn everything around making this world into a far better far brighter and a far more spiritual place and the forerunner of it all the forebearer of it all the father the ancestor to whom we learn or from whom we learn the most about the meaning of being a mitzvah person a mitzvah boy a mitzvah girl a mitzvah man and a mitzvah woman is actually Yaakov it is Jacob our father who says 
Im Lavan Garti, I have dwelt with Lavan, I have dwelt in that place where there was corruption and there was uh, immorality and there was a low ethical standard and there has been so much that surrounds us that makes the world seem dark. It has been my job to bring mitzvot, to bring holiness into that place, to transform and transfer everything, elevate it all, pick it all up. And make this world a much brighter and a much better place. And we'll be back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. If we think about our attitude to the world, our attitude to the world is something that you and I, each and every one of us, are supposed to take quite seriously. Being Jewish is quite a serious job, albeit the fact that we are specifically told We've got to serve God with absolute joy. We need to have joy. We need to have a positive attitude. We need to have simcha running through our veins and running through everything that we do. There has to be that positive energy that we exude, that we give off, and that we actually live by, and that we use to enable us to actually do our job, to perform our tasks, and to fulfill our mission in this world. It is serious, but it's not unhappy. It's not sad. It's not glum. On the contrary, it is a job that we've got to actually put our um, our shoulder to the yoke immediately and start doing on every possible level. And we have that example purely and exactly from Yaakov Avinu from Jacob telling his brother, telling Esau, this is what I have come back with. I am not changed. I may have been in a diaspora for a long time, as we as the Jewish people have been. But we've never lost our focus, and we've never lost our mission. And we've never lost the understanding that this is what we've got to do. We've got to return everything, not just to Israel, but we've got to return everything to its rightful place in God's world and elevate everything to make it into something spiritual. God gave us this huge, big... playground call it he gave us this huge big area and place and environment of all sorts of different um, um, levels and attitudes um, of uh, physical and material things and his task that he set for us was take these mitzvot and mitzvah by the way comes from the word of connection connect them with spirituality make the connection between the material between yourself and between God use them to elevate don't allow them to pull you down don't allow them to be your demise but rather allow them or make them turn them into your very success and this is our job defined in those few words by Yaakov Avinu by Jacob in this week's parsha. So I hope you have a great rest of the week. I do apologize for only being with you for a short while today, but I know that you weren't let down. You were um, hopefully excited to have stuff to do if you are a kid or stuff to do with your kids um, in the December holidays with Gan Yisrael Camp. So thank you once again uh, to Rabbi Pink and his team for standing in for me in the first part of the show. Um, I look forward to being back with you again next week, same time, same place, at um, just past 2 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon for Judaism 101.9. Take care.